to understand it, the grace to face things in our life that we say is out of step with the Scripture and the Spirit, the grace to make changes in actions or attitudes or thoughts or convictions. Without you, we can't, we can't do any of that. We recognize sin is a powerful force that in many ways dominates people. And yet your grace is more than enough to deal with it, to overwhelm it, to forgive it, and give us victory over it. So would you give us a grace right now as we look at a uh, topic that impacts all of us, everyone in this room, and may we see how gracious you are both in the pages of Scripture and in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning again. Glad to have you here. Um, if you're not uh, from Three Lakes or this church, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, call, we call the series The Heart of Discipleship. And so the purpose being to look at what does it mean to be one of Jesus' disciples. And one of the things it has to mean is that our heart is, uh, our heart is connected to Him. It's submitted to Him. It's not about religious duty and just going through motions, but that our heart reflects what God's heart wants and desires for us. It reflects His love for people. Uh, so as we're looking at this message today, it's in a long line that we've been going through this year. At the same time, I think it's very appropriate for Memorial Day. So I'll ask you to turn uh, to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Say we talk about money, and we talk about God's grace. So if you're bummed that we're talking about money, at least we're talking about God's grace, right? It'll, it'll be okay. <laughs> On our currency is the phrase, in God we trust. Let's see if I actually brought something. There we go. There's a dollar bill. So on the back of the dollar bill, you have the phrase, in God we trust. Where did that come from? You know, well, what's up with that? And is it somewhat ironic that the thing that most people put their trust in is the thing that declares that you ought to trust in God? Well, in God We Trust first appeared on U.S. coins in 1864 and has been on our paper currency since 1957. A law passed in a joint resolution by the 84th Congress was approved by President Dwight Eisenhower on July 30, 1956. It declared that in God we trust to be our national motto. And that's when it first went on to paper money in 1957. Now, you say, where did this come from? You know, well, where did that motto, in God we trust, come from? Probably, some people say, probably from the Star Spangled Banner, the last stanza. If we can get that on the overhead, you can check that out. Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause is just. And this be our motto, in God is our trust. 
and the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave. You can thank me later for not singing that. <laughs> but there it is. And this be our motto in God is our trust. Star-spangled banner. And after that, we thought, well, let's, I think we thought, well, let's make it a little shorter and, and a little more pithy. In God we trust on the dollar bill. So I want to talk about that because clearly trusting in God is part of our country's history. So much so that we thought, let's put it on our, on our money. But I want to start by asking the question, you know, what is money really? You know, what, what, what is this? This is a piece of paper, but, but how, how can I understand what this is? And I'll say this, and, and this, this is a point where you could take notes out if you want. There's notes in your bulletins. We'll kind of work through that too, um, if you like taking notes. Otherwise, you can watch the screen behind me. Money is just a symbol for human resources. That's all it is. It's just a symbol. Because this, I mean, if I, if I have a million of these, that won't help me unless it's a symbol for something else, you know? If this is worthless, if this is a million pieces of white paper, that won't help me in the least. But if it's actually currency printed by the United States Treasury, then it's a resource. Then it means something. It has value. So humanity's resource is money. Money will buy you propane in the winter. It'll buy gasoline for your car. You can purchase a house with it. You can purchase a vehicle with it. You can go to the grocery store. They all take this. You can give it to them and they'll give you what you need. Whatever resources you need, this can buy it. We can live. What is God's resource? It's not this. I mean, he does bless us with this, but what is God's resource? Before I answer that question, would you look at the book of Isaiah? So Jim, don't put it up there yet. I bet many of you will guess it right away. But would you look at Isaiah 55. I think we'll actually have it on the screen too. We could put that up. This is Isaiah 55, 1. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, you who have no money, come, buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? and your labor on what does not satisfy. Another verse there? Do we have verse 3? Is that the end of what I got? Okay, good. Um, Oh, there it is, there it is. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good. And your soul, okay, your soul, so we're talking about spiritual things now, your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. So God wants to give us something of his resources, this milk, this bread, something that our soul can delight in and feast on. And he calls it a covenant of faithful love. I want to make this covenant of faithful love and give you these spiritual resources at no cost to you. Look at Revelation. We have an Old Testament example. How about a New Testament example? Revelation 3.17. Jesus says, You say, I'm rich. 
I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Now the people he's writing that to could look at themselves and see that they've got clothes on, they've got eyesight, uh, they're not truly blind, and they're not truly naked. What is he after here? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And he must not mean money. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So God, I mean, you could say God wants to save us. He wants to save your soul. He wants to give you of his riches. What do we call the riches of God's uh, uh, abundant blessing? What do we call that? It's a simple word, grace. It's grace. God deals in grace. We deal in money. Grace is a way of summarizing. You know, you think about grace. Grace can take a lot of different forms and, and, and meanings because it refers to all of his blessings. The, the, the grace that, that uh, let's say, an, a person wants nothing to do with Jesus, but they wake up in the morning because of God's grace. Right? They get some of that grace. And then us who have our sins forgiven, we sing about amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's saving grace. So, so everybody, whether you're saved or not, whether you're a Christian or not, get a form of grace. One is better than the other because the grace that gets you up in the morning is not as great as the grace that saves you from your sin. Okay? Not everyone is saved from sin. Not everyone gets that grace. But we've all tasted the grace of God in some form or another. God's resource is grace. So, knowing that, I want to talk... Oh, here's a way to remember what grace is. Almost forgot. I think I have that... uh, Yeah, G-R-A-C-E. Have you ever heard this? God's riches at Christ's expense. When we talk about saving grace, the grace that saved a wretch like me, we're talking about God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid on the cross to save you. And because of that, Peter would say, everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us. Everything you need is what Peter says. Everything. Jesus bought it. It's been given to you. It's yours. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. So at, now as we look at money, um, as we look at money, I want us to look at this passage in light of, okay, we know what our resource is. Our resource is money. We know what God's resource is. It's grace. So as we read this, I want to read it through the lens of God is a God of grace. That's who he is. That's what he gives It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, says Ephesians 2. Okay, so are we back in Matthew now? Maybe you kept your finger there. Matthew 6. I'll go there too. Probably a very familiar passage to many of you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, very famous passage of the Bible. I want to break it down into three sections because I think Jesus teaches it in three sections. And in your Bibles, there are probably three paragraphs there. I'll have you notice, first of all, I mean, a lot of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus kind of saying, like, the Pharisees and religious leaders do it this way. And I want you to do it this way. You know, religious people put on an act sometimes. That's Matthew 5, you know, where you're, you're praying to be seen in public, you know. Um, this is definitely dealing with a concern everyone has, both religious and not religious. And I think it's a huge concern for religious people as well. I, I think that's something that we ought to recognize, that we deal with this in a big way. But I'll also have you notice, before I say anything else, in that Jesus likes to speak in pairs here, okay? Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, lay it up in heaven. Don't have a bad eye, have a good eye. You can't serve God and money. So there's these pairs, these alternatives. In other words, you're supposed to read this and say, I've got a choice to make. Treasures in heaven, treasures on earth. Good eye, bad eye. I'll get to that. I mean, we'll answer, like, what in the world is a good eye versus a bad eye? And then serve God or serve money. But, but there's the choice as it's laid out. And he wants to force you to make a choice here. Okay, so number one. Let's do the first one. Jesus says, lay up eternal treasures, not earthly ones. So that's verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, lay up eternal treasures. Don't store up yourself treasures on earth, but in heaven. And he says, why? Why, why do that? Well, because moths, rust, destroy it. Thieves can steal it. And so part of this is just, the, if you're a really practical person, you read this and go, okay, I see what he's saying. He's saying to the ancient person, they've got coins, they've got different things, and, and it can be stolen from them. Rust can, can set in. Things can happen to your wealth. And so in America, we've gotten much more sophisticated. We can put our money in investments and banking and savings accounts. It's insured by the government. You know, we've got ways around this, right? Well, not really. I mean, you know this. I mean, we, we, we may tell ourselves we've got the rust-proof treasure, but we don't. Inflation, anybody? Uh, the devaluation of the dollar, economic issues, economic depression. These things happen to us. And so woe to us who think that we can somehow rust-proof our treasure on earth because we somehow know more. So Jesus is arguing, first of all, about durability. You know, the treasures on earth don't last a long time. Treasures in heaven last forever. So if you look at it just from a practical perspective, if, if, you, if you spend all your effort on earthly treasures, they're not going to last. You can't take them with you. So let's, let's put it like this, okay? Let's do this. Pursue the activities of grace. 
I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Pursue the activities of grace. Like, you have a choice. You can spend your time getting more money, uh, making it, using it for yourself, or, or you can do the activities of grace. That is, you can use your time, your resources, your money for grace-filled reasons. Grace, gracious activities. Because let's, Jesus is not saying here, um, let, let's be careful, because he's not saying you can't save for later. I think there's a verse about ants saving for later, you know? If you just look at nature, uh, some animals hibernate and they and they save they save food for later, you know. So so saving is not bad, but when I read this and I'm looking at like his exact words are, let me find it. Do not store up. This is verse 19 for yourselves. You might underline that in order to understand what this verse is talking about. Don't store up for yourselves. So I would take it. Jesus is saying. A lot of us are selfish with our money. And we think money is about my entertainment and enjoyment. And yes, it is to an extent. God never said, please don't enjoy this life. It's going to be rough and I want you to have a somber face and don't have fun. You know, He never says that. So, so we can enjoy our money. It can be entertainment. It, that's fine. But when it's predominantly that way, there's an issue. There's an issue there. And when I have a hard heart towards people in need, there's an issue there. When I feel superior because of my money, there's an issue there. If money primarily exists just for my entertainment and pleasure, there's an issue there. It's when you take, when you take a good gift and you take it too far and make it into the idol. That's what he's talking about here. That's a heart thing you've got to ask yourself. What, what does this do to my heart? So I believe what Jesus is asking us to make a decision on here, though, is would you pursue the activities of grace? Would you use your money for gracious activities? Would you sponsor a child in another country that needs to eat? Because every day you know you have enough, but every day they don't know they have enough. One of the most convicting things uh, you remember I brought Pastor Daniel in a few weeks back and he shared with the church from Uganda. Uh, and uh, he was praying at one of my meals and he, and he said, I pray for those who don't have a meal tonight. Now, I had like four pizzas in my house, large size. And any time he ever ate a, heavy, uh, a big meal, he'd always say, oh, this is a heavy meal, a heavy meal. I'm like all of our meals are heavy, I think almost, you know? All of our meals are heavy. Uh, and he prayed. He blessed the meal and prayed for those that don't have a meal that night, that, they, that God would give them a meal. I don't think like that. But Jesus says if you, ha- if you pursue the activities of grace, you'll start doing that. You'll start thinking about other people and what you can do to bless them. And it doesn't just happen when you throw money at it either. That's, I mean, part of that is you could sponsor a child. We have Ethiopian children in the back on the wall there that need to be sponsored. But it's also, will I build a relationship with people? I mean, there are people in need all around you. And you may think it's just a money issue. They don't have a lot of money. They're in poverty. They don't just need money thrown at them. They need a relationship with a believer in Jesus Christ. 
And oh, by the way, that's you. That's you. And it's going to get messy. And some people are going to want to be friends with you so they can get a handout. And you're going to have to love them through that because that's the activities of grace. It's how am I using my money to further God's kingdom? I have to make a choice here. It's what people am I going to invest my time in? Because, again, many of us have enough money. Some of us have enough money just to throw it at people and say, I've done my job. Now, what about the relational thing people need from you? Will you invest that way also? So pursue the activities of grace. Choose your activities wisely. Oh, I, I should probably mention this. You know, um, he, he says these eternal treasures. I don't know exactly what they are. We know the Bible talks about crowns, you know, the crown of life, these different kinds of crowns. I'm not going to go through them all today. I think I've done that in the recent past at some point. But uh, there's different crowns. I also want you to think... Um, I believe in 1 Corinthians it says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. They remain. You ever catch that? They remain. You get to take faith, hope, and love with you into heaven. That would be a treasure. You can start now, and even death won't stop you from taking it with you. You're buried with it. You go to God with it. When you share the gospel with somebody and they get saved... You're taking them with you. You're taking them with you. Nobody can take that away. That's eternal treasure. I don't know what all the rewards are going to be, but I know there's some earthly things that we can see even now that you're going to be able to look at those things and say, I'm taking that with me. I'm taking, it, I'm taking you with me. Have you ever had the privilege of leading someone to Christ? Have I had the privilege of just sharing the gospel and knowing that you're, you're part of the planting and watering process and that one day God may cause growth there and they may surrender? I mean, when you do that, you've got you've to kind of wait until you get to heaven to figure out whether it, it bore fruit or not, right? You know, Like when you just share the gospel and you don't know what, what happened with it, you're going to get surprises in heaven, you know? Like, here you are. What are you doing here? Well, you told me about the gospel, but you said you didn't want it. I accepted. Can you hear these conversations happening? That's what you get to have. That's eternal treasure. The rest of it, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like. You know? I don't know. But I know it will never, ever rust. And no one can take it away. So this is a call to look at our activities and say, do they reflect grace or do they reflect me? Okay, secondly, let's talk about your eyes a little bit, all right? Let's talk about your eyes. Uh, Where are we at? Treasures in heaven, verse 22. Okay, I bet you're wondering, what in the world is Jesus talking about eyes for in the middle of of this money thing? The eye is the lamp of the body, says verse 22. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Okay, Jesus, what do eyes have to do with money? Well, first of all, Psalm 119, verse 19, I believe, 
talks about fixing your eyes on His commandments. And He doesn't just mean looking at them, He means setting your heart on them. So eyes do refer to the heart. But there's more here. Okay? So let me... uh, Remember the parable of the workers in the vineyard? Jesus tells this story and He says, there was a master and He started hiring people to work in His vineyard. And some people He hired in the morning. And He said, I'll pay you you know, whatever, a full day's wages. Come work for me this morning. And workers came in and worked. And then in the, in the, at noon, you know, he comes out and he says, I need more workers. You guys, why aren't, why aren't you guys working today? Come on over and work for me. I'll pay you a day's wages. So they go out and work for him. And then later in the day, the guy goes out and says, I need more workers. You guys, there's a few hours left in this day. Come work for me. I'll pay you a day's wages. And they come and they work. Now, the people that have been working there by the sweat of their brow from the morning, they get mad, right? How dare you pay them as much as you pay us? They've worked so little and we work so long. That's not fair. And this is the response that we have. Can we put the verse up? I'm giving you King James Version because NIV, ESV, they don't show it. Okay? Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own. God, the master who stands in for God says, can I do whatever I want with my money? Can I pay and reward whatever I want? And then he says, is thine eye evil because I am so good? Is your eye evil because I'm so good? Now, what is he saying? What, what, the, what does the I thing mean in this passage? Both of them have to do with money, by the way. This passage in Matthew 6 and this one uh, later. God is more gracious sometimes than we can even tolerate. You know? Why would you be so good to them? I think, I think the, the parable has a certain meaning to Jews and Gentiles, by the way. I don't want to go into all the depths of that. I want to stick to the money thing. But one thing it is saying is, I am so good that even if, even if you come and follow me late in life, even if you, you're, you're going to get the full thing, the full reward. I think it has to do with Jews and Gentiles. And the Gentiles come into the kingdom. And the Jews are going, What? But what it's saying is, God has more gracious values than we often have. It's a value thing. This is who God is. That's His character. It, it, it's who He is and how He wants to run His kingdom. Kingdom values. This is the way I'm ruling. I'm the king. Get over it. So let's say it like this. You need to pursue the values of grace. The values of grace. Is that, is that your values? Kingdom values? Grace values? <clears throat> Here's what it's saying. Here's what it's saying. I can see things in a human way. I can see that you hurt me, you offended me, you spoke evil about me, you spread a rumor about me, and I despise you. And I will not treat you well. I'm going to start my own rumor about you. I'm going to talk about the things you've done that are true. You know, that, that, that's a human value. You do this to me, I'm going to do this back to you. 
vengeance. I'll get you back. God says, no, I want you to love your... Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those that persecute you. We looked at that a few weeks ago. If I could redo anything in that sermon, by the way, this is the only thing I'd redo, I think. I've talked about loving your enemies and doing good to those who hate you. Um, I think I'd say this. When, when Jesus talks about turning the other cheek, right? Someone smacks you here, turn the other cheek. When he talks about a soldier forcing you to go one mile, you go two. When he talks about if someone sues you for your cloak, give up your tunic. I think I would add this to everything that I said that, that week. Jesus wants you to be creative in the way you love hard people. You know? So many of us read that and we go, okay, turn the other cheek. That means if someone smacks me, i got to go like this. Ready? I should practice that. You know? I'm ready. I'm ready. And the next time someone says, go a mile, I'll drive them too. I'll go too. And the next time someone sues me for a small thing, I'll make sure that I give them extra stuff or I, I don't know. Next time I get sued. I've never been sued. In fact, no one's ever struck me on the cheek. I had someone hit me, you know, back here once. Cheap shot. <laughs> um, but I, I didn't have to deal with this. So you've got to take these teachings and import them to the 21st century and say, the values of grace says, how am I going to love my enemy? How am I going to love the person I despise? the person that's against me, the person I work with that hates me and would like to get me fired, how am I going to love them? That's the values of grace. And if your eyes can't see that, then you've got bad eyes. Shall I say that again? Does it hurt a little bit? Well, let me make it hurt again. If you can't see that, you've got bad eyes. You don't have kingdom eyes. You've got eyes that say, let me give it back. You've got eyes that say, Look at the people in poverty. Look at the mess they made for themselves. They got everything coming to them they deserve. Look at the mess they made. You don't have kingdom eyes. You've got human eyes, and you see what you want to see. And Jesus is sick of it. He's sick of it. Because he says, I want you to give grace to your enemies and love them. You don't have to agree with what they're doing. You don't have to call evil good and good evil. No, you don't agree with them. You've got to love them. Pursue the values of grace. Because if you have bad eyes, if you don't see things the way God sees them, then you're blind. And Jesus says, how great is the darkness in you. And that's a frightfully scary verse. If you can't see with gracious eyes, how great is the darkness in you. That ought to sober us and make us rethink some things we've been doing. If you think money is all for your enjoyment and all only for your financial security in the future, you've got bad eyes. Because you're not seeing the needs in the world that God is seeing. He sees it all. He's asking you to see it. And the fact is, we've got the internet, so we can see it pretty easily. We can see it pretty easily. 
and yet we're quick to click it away and go back to whatever enjoyment we were having. Okay. Thirdly and lastly, here we are. Um, This one probably doesn't need much explanation, but we will. Uh, Here we go. No one can serve two masters, verse 24. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the last one is this. Would you pursue the God of grace? I mean, here's your choice. Money or God. You've got to make a choice. I mean, if it wasn't bad enough, you could say, well, I won't have a lot of eternal treasures, I guess, because I had it pretty good in this life, you know, and I spent all my money on me and my enjoyment. Ah, you know. <laughs> no, actually, Jesus says, you can't just say that. It's actually you pick God or you pick money. You can only serve one. Yes, you can be rich and wealthy and still serve God. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you have to be poor and love God. He's saying you only serve one. You're only going to love one. Wealthy people can love the Lord wholeheartedly and use their wealth in a way that honors God. Don't hear me say something I'm not saying, though. Here's our problem, though, I think, in the church. My problem. We tell ourselves these fairy tales that go like this. I'll be the guy that figures this out. I'll be the guy that can go after money and go after God. I can do the 50-50 thing. I've figured it out. You say to yourself, I figured it out by worshiping at church on Sunday, but all the weekdays belong to money-making. Those days belong to me and my enjoyment. Sunday belongs to the Lord. And even then, an hour or two. I figured it out. That's how we did it. Some of us have figured it out by saying, I'm going to praise God with my mouth. Love the Lord Jesus. Serve Him only. But then your life reflects, your actions reflect something different. They don't match what you've said. God sees through all of that. And and Jesus says, you're not as clever as you think. You can't figure this out. Humanly speaking, you either bow your heart to God or you bow your heart to money. You have a choice. So bow to one. And I think as I think about serving God or money, I think there is a correlation between the two. I didn't have a lot of time to think about what this looked like this week, but it was something that my heart was starting to go into. Like, when I, If you serve money, I want to enjoy its benefits, right? The things that money can give me. Security, pleasure, control, and power, and and down the line. When I serve God, He he gives me spiritual blessings in Christ. Which ones are more enjoyable to you in this life? What you have in Christ or what your symbols of human resources can purchase? That's a question. And lest you ever think that serving God earns you some of these spiritual resources, here's a verse all of you should like have memorized. Would you keep your finger, Matthew, and go to Romans uh, 4, 5? I don't think I have this one on the uh, overhead behind me, you know, the projector, so... 
Some of us are tempted to say, on the other hand, but I worked for God. You know, you, you gave so much to Him. You're doing like the, you know, like Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback. You know, he lives on 10% and gives away 90, you know. I, I, look what I'm doing for God with my money. Look at all this. Uh, you're like, you remember Rich Mullins, the singer that died a few years back, a number of years back, maybe 10, 15 years ago. <clears throat> he wrote Awesome God, or God is an Awesome God. Uh, if I understand correctly, he, he told the people that manage his money, would you, would you help me live on, just give me whatever the average American is living on, and the rest goes out. I didn't want to know what I make. You know? <clears throat> I mean, so let's say that's you. Let's say your heart is big, and you use your wealth for others. Yeah, you have some enjoyment out of it, which is fine. But you use your wealth for others. Uh, here's, here's, here's a warning for you then. Romans 4, 5. Or how about Romans 4, 4? That's a good place to start. When a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. No one's working for gifts here. You know, when you have a job, you get paid. The employer has to pay you its obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. That's got to be one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. At least to working people that, that, that think like that, you know. I mean, I think like a working, like I've done this many hours, you know, this is what you get paid. If you ever approach God like he's an employer, you miss salvation completely. If you approach God and say, look what I've done, now what are you going to give me? You've missed it. It's all grace. It's all grace. If you think, but I've, what about those eternal treasures I'm supposed to lay up in the verses earlier? You know, what about those? I'm ready for those. Give them. I'm in heaven now. Give them to me. Don't you think you're going to realize that even God's grace helped you earn those eternal treasures? You know, like he did it in you, right? You read this verse. This is the verse you should pull out every single time someone says, but I'm a good person. I'm going to go to heaven. Good people go to heaven. And you say, well, actually, a man doesn't work, but trusts in God who... The man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. In other words, if you've been working for God and expected a paycheck in heaven, you better stop working and quit your job. Because God's not an employer like that. He's not an employer. Yes, there's a parable about working in his vineyard, but that the meaning of that parable is not that God's going to pay you for working for him. You have faith. You believe you trust that Jesus died for you, and then God says, here it is. It's all yours. Jesus bought it. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus bought it. You can have it. There's your go-to verse. You'll probably almost never hear a pastor say this, but here it is. Please don't work for God. Please don't work for God. Have faith in God. And then he'll give you the grace to serve him. But it will all come back to glorify him and not you. Okay. Let's end with the, with the last section here. So, um, it's a shame that, uh, for back in Matthew 6, we're going to finish with this idea. I'm not going to preach through this whole next section, but um, 
I bet you've heard, I bet you've heard sermons on verse 25 and following, don't worry about your life. Anyone ever connect it to the money verses before it? They should have. If they didn't, they should have. Because Jesus says in verse 25, therefore, and in every good Bible school, they tell you, if there's a therefore, ask what it's there for. Okay? There you are. You should always look backwards when you see the word therefore. So after Jesus says, don't serve money, serve God. Don't love money, love God. Therefore, I tell you, and would, would you just hear this in a devotional way? Like, would you just let these words sink in? No, I'm not going to dissect them. Would, would you just let it hit you, you know? Just let it soothe you? Maybe I stepped on your toes a little bit earlier. I hope I didn't. I stepped on my own toes this week when I was studying this, so maybe I stepped on yours a little bit too. I don't know. But Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are are, are, Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith, So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That section is imploring you, begging you to trust God. Trust the God of grace. Trust Him. Because because if He... If he gives food to birds, worms for the bird, if, if he gives the grass a, a certain beauty, even though the grass is going to be cut down and burned up tomorrow, grass being a source of fuel, if, if he gives bears your garbage cans, <laughs> if he gives a thousand varieties of shades of color of plants, Praise God we're in flower season in Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin. If he does that, the beauty of his creativity, if he takes care of his animals, don't you think he'll take care of you? And you say, but there are people suffering in the world. There are Christians whom God loves dearly that are suffering and starving in different parts of the world. Yes, that's why you're here. 
That's why you're here. You say, well, wait a minute. Even I suffer at times. My health fails. I don't have what I need all the time. And Paul says, yeah, I get it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then in that passage, he talks about suffering, persecution, whippings, beatings, starvation, shipwrecks. You know, he names the whole list of things in that Philippians passage. And he says, oh yeah, I can do it all. I can starve through Christ who strengthens me. I can have a beaten, broken back through Christ who strengthens me. I can be shipwrecked through Christ who strengthens me. You know, you can have failing health through Christ who strengthens you. At the end of the day, and at the end of every single day, His grace is enough. His grace is enough. Worship team, would you come up now? Father, um, You are the God of grace. I have to admit, sometimes I don't see it. Sometimes I don't see things the way you do, and I, and I know that's, that's so wrong. I know sometimes when I look at people, I snap into a judgment instead of trying to see them through grace eyes. Would you help me? Would you help me get beyond that?